and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 227. I'm your enthusiastic host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Voyager's fifth season episodes, Juggernaut, Someone to Watch Over Me, and 1159. Here we go. Juggernaut, Season 5, Episode 21, Production Code 215, Original Air Date, April 26th, 1999, Directed by Alan Croker, Story by Brian Fuller, Teleplay by Brian Fuller, Nick Sagan, and Kenneth Biller, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Ron Canada as Fesek, Lee Ehrenberg as Pelk, Scott Clace as Drimk, and Alexander Enberg as Malon. <laughs> As Tuvok attempts to teach Bellana Taurus meditation to calm her violent tendencies, Voyager detects an escape pod from damaged from a damaged Malon freighter. They rescue two surviving Malonians, and they learn that the freighter transporting deadly theta radioactive waste is set to explode in a few hours, which would destroy everything within three light years. The rage within you runs deep. It's been with you for many years. I'm not a Vulcan. I'll survive. Whatever you say, Miss Turtlehead. What did you say? You are easily provoked. You must learn to master your emotions. Juggernaut. Adam, what do you think of Juggernaut? Um, I think the title is the best part of the episode. <laughs> this would be my first thing. I don't know. What was it, the episode that you um, you didn't like, what you Cote the last time? Wasn't that episode was... I don't know what you're talking about. I must have blocked it from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of find this episode to be similar to that. Um, okay, first off, you know. Okay, it's not that bad. Well, it's not that bad, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not good either. I mean, first off, I'm okay. You know, we get blonde, and we could kind of get the same old story around. She's angry. She's upset. We don't ever find out why she's upset in this episode. She's just mad through the whole thing. She's just in a bad mood the whole episode. We get the Malons again, which. I kind of felt they ran their course after the very first appearance um, in Voyager. So we get this whole, you know, they're transporting waste and it's very dangerous. And again, Bellana's mad and she spouts off to a bunch of people. And um, yeah, they try to, they go on this journey in the Malon ship from the lower decks all the way to the, the top. And um they don't even go through with that solution. They end up just pushing the ship into a star, which kind of would have made sense from the beginning, but I guess they had to fill out um, 30 to 45 minutes. I said, I wasn't too fond of this episode. It was kind of boring. It was kind of like, uh, what's the point? Um, like I said, you know, we, we have this storyline with Bellana that she's really upset and angry and moody but we don't really get any reasoning behind that other than the fact that that's just her personality, which, you know, we, I think we all kind of figured out after the very first episode in Voyager that she's kind of moody and upset. So I kind of think it's kind of a retread of her character of things that we've seen many times before with her. And um, in this episode, they just kind of retreaded that and they didn't do much with it. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that's the reason it's boring. If this this exact same episode was in season one or maybe season two, I don't think it would have been boring. Uh, you know, it would have been all right. But where it is, God, I feel like I feel like we've literally had this episode before. You know, Torres just acting like a jerk. 
um, you know, not able to control her emotions because she's, you know, crazy Klingon. We've seen that. We've seen it multiple times. You know, we've seen her go onto this alien vessel in this way, and and uh, we've seen her deal with this. And that's the whole point. That's what the character arc they're trying to give the. That's the the arc they're trying to give the character within this one episode, right? They're starting her off. This is how she is. She can't settle down with Tuvok when he's trying to meditate with her. And by the end of the episode, oh, maybe she's gotten a little better. You can't keep doing that. (laughs) I mean, either she's getting a little better or she isn't. She's acting in this episode like she would have been. That argument she has with Chakotay, I'm like, this doesn't feel like who she is anymore. Why is she having this gene being this jerk to him? This does not feel like who she is anymore. I feel like she's dealt with this and she's better now. And she wouldn't have been saying these kinds of things. Again, first or second season, sure. But we're all, we got one more podcast and we're going to finish the fifth season. That's how far along in the show we are. This is just, this doesn't feel like Torres anymore. Uh, so this episode goes between being boring because it, I feel like I've seen it a million times and just downright puzzling because I feel like this isn't who she is anymore. And we've dealt with this and it makes the other times pointless. And Well, and then, you know, and, really, and at least like the past episodes, there was, there was some reasoning behind it. Um, there was some reason that this, I this was kind of like out of the, out of nowhere. And then there wasn't really, right. I mean, it feels like this is a leftover, leftover script from the first or second season, yeah. right? It's like, wait, what? You know, and you know, the resolution of the episode is that she gets to take a sonic shower. That's, yeah, she does look kind of cool. She looks like Ripley near the end there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I I agree with what's been said. It's kind of like um, it's kind of akin to get an argument with your uh, significant other, and it's like I said I'm sorry, but you always say I'm sorry when this happens. I mean, we've seen this so many times. Like you said, you know, it's like we. I thought she was past this. That's that's the that's 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 the message here or whatever. You know, I mean. And so it does feel like it should be seasons ago, three, four years ago. And so it's like they're just bringing back this issue just to drive drive the episode to make it some kind of character story. But, you know, this is it's not where we are. You know, I mean, if, if all of these were totally standalone and you didn't have any kind of frame of reference on the past, I guess, you know, she she makes some strides in this episode. Also, I mean, I'm sitting here. I was I mean, granted, I I think I watched this a week ago in preparation for this this podcast, but I'm re I had to read over this like three times. I felt like my notes to like, Oh yeah, this one. I mean, that's how forgettable it is. And I don't think it's awful. It's just that it's so, like you said, we've seen this before. These are issues we've addressed before. There, there are some, there, there are a few moments. I, I like the, the, uh, Tubak and Taurus stuff, you know, the joking around and, you know, Tubak's snarky comments to her. I mean, some of that's fun and that kind of thing, but on the whole, it feels like it's, it's such a, uh, Let's revisit aliens that we thought were long gone. Let's revisit an issue with a character that we thought we passed by. And so it's like just 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 filler kind of, you know, so not too impressive. One of the other things that I was kind of disappointed in this episode. So, you know, you've got Bellana and um, um, Paris. They're in a relationship. So, you know, a few episodes back, we, you know, we saw the, the clone um, Voyager and they had their wedding. Um, I don't quite understand, you know, they've set them up into a relationship. They, you know, they, they did some episodes on it and it kind of feels like they've just kind of dropped it. Like, okay, yeah, they're in a relationship. I kind of feel like 
you know, this would have been, you know, if you wanted to do a Balana episode, this, you know, explore that relationship, explore relationships on a ship yeah. and that kind of thing. I, I don't know why, that, and I guess I'll know the further we get into the series. I don't recall them really even delving into their relationship anymore. Yeah, going if, forward. if you were going through something and you were in a relationship, there should be a scene of with her really talking to him about it, not just him trying to pull something out of her as she's walking to the transporter pad to leave the ship, you know? Right. Again, feeling like it's just a script that they from three years ago they reworked for now, you know, or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. I did like seeing uh Torres and Neelix on an away team together. I felt especially after Chakotay was beamed away, I felt like I'm not sure we've really seen this dynamic. There's there was only like one scene, but that was kind of interesting. I, I felt that felt different to me. That's what they changed in the script from three years past. They're like, <laughs> okay, if we, we got her with um, you know, Tuvok and Chakotay. Let's throw Delix in this. That'll change it up enough for people to like it. Even the mystery of, oh, who is this? Is this ghost thing? Is that real? And, oh, there it is real. Who is it? I mean, there was no mystery there. They kind of go out of their way in the very opening, t- in the teaser, to send that one guy down. I mean, I know it's not the same guy, but just the idea that, oh, it's a core thing, and or the core worker, or whatever they call it. Yeah, okay. Another thing I kind of wrote down, you know, so there's that scene between Bellana and the head Malon guy, and he's telling her about, oh, our world is beautiful, our culture is so beautiful, but, you know, we have to get rid of this waste. And it's kind of, I'm like, didn't Voyager give them the technology to do away with all of this stuff? I mean, I, like, she could have went, hey, you know, you don't have to do this. You can use our technology to get rid of it or recycle it. You know, it's just, it didn't make a lot of sense. I think they didn't take it or something, right? Yeah, but that was that one ship. Yeah. They said, yeah, you don't have to kill yourself dumping this waste out in the middle of nowhere. You can use this technology. Oh, that's a good point. And, and be a sculptor. That was another weird thing. I'm a sculptor, but not, but to, you know, serve my people, I haul this waste out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of a weird. Is this episode about anything? I guess dealing with anger is kind of what I, um, be careful with your waste. <laughs> always flush the toilet yeah. right yeah i mean they're probably trying to say something about the you know dealing with stress dealing with anger that kind of thing um but none of it ties together well and doesn't even i mean they had an opportunity to try to tell a story that i mean if they would have tried to tie together the the plight of the Malons and this bizarre situation they have with getting rid of that toxic waste and what is going through and if they would have updated it for today versus three years back four years back but they don't and so i just don't feel they really they really established anything here all right let's do six degrees for juggernaut adam are you going first or second um i guess i'll go first Ron Canada plays Fesic, the Malon captain, who is kind of sort of appreciative of Voyager's help. In Next Gen's fifth season, he played Martin Benbeck in the episode The Masterpiece Society. Benbeck's ancestors came from what planet to start their perfect society? Earth? Yes. Steve, Canada also played Klingon advocate Chapok in DS9's fourth season in the episode Rules of Engagement, in which what DS9 crew member is on trial? Uh, Worf? Yep. 1-1, one, one, moving on. 
Someone to Watch Over Me, Season 5, Episode 22, Production Code 216. Original air date, April 28, 1999. Directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. Story by Brandon Braga. Teleplay by Michael Taylor. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast includes Scott Thompson as Toman, Ian Abercrombie as Abbott, David Burke as Stephen Price, and Ryan McNamara as William Chapman. <laughs> Tom Paris and Belana Torres become upset after discovering Seven observing and documenting their romantic interactions. The doctor offers to help teach Seven on human courting rituals through an elaborate educational course. During the course, the doctor becomes somewhat smitten with Seven and on a bet with Paris offers to take her to a diplomatic reception. Seven's behavior is perfectly appropriate for the event, but upon learning of the doctor's bet, she is not happy. Hi there. Hello. Come here often? This is my first time. You must be new in town. How do you like the south of France? It is very quaint, exactly as I've always pictured it. May I buy you a drink? I don't require a liquid supplement at this time. You're not giving this a fair chance. This exercise is pointless. It may seem pointless, but small talk is a vital dating skill. It helps to establish a rapport with your companion. Perhaps there's something to be said for assimilation, after all. Someone to watch over me. Well, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you may recall as we started Voyager or since then, that I've said my memory was that Someone to Watch Over Me was my favorite episode of Voyager. And I was interested to see how I would feel when I got there. Now, I remembered very clearly that the couple of others that I loved a great deal were also Doctor episodes. There was Latent Image. And then, um, oh, the one where he has the family, which I can't remember the name of right now. And I now have my answer. This is no longer my favorite episode of Voyager, although I still like it a lot and I still think it's really good. But I think similar to the one with him and his family, the B story, while it's fine, it takes away the focus. And I think I think that's what makes, you know, latent image is is is, is so laser focused and effective. And still I remember when, when we discussed it just recently and at the end of it we had, you know, because it, the episode ends in a kind of ambivalent way and it left you with a lot to think about and a lot to talk about and a lot to interpret. And so maybe, maybe some of those things are gone here because the B story takes away in someone to watch over me, even though the B story is fine. But again, the B story doesn't feel real unique, but the A story is good and I'm going to have some good things to say about it. I just wanted to point out that maybe it's not my favorite anymore. Steve, what are your first thoughts here? Yeah, I uh, I do really like this episode, and I see what you're saying. I think that um, I think it almost like trades off, uh, you know, cohesiveness and quality for a little bit of entertainment value. The, the, the thing is, that I think I do think the B story on the whole is entertaining. I think a lot of that has to do with the the interaction between um, you know Neelix and this Toman character played by Scott Thompson. I think he's really good. It's very comic i mean it's it's it, he i think he's a good comic you know i mean it really works that kind of thing but yeah they don't really i mean they, they they come together in terms of the narrative toward the end but it doesn't really uh do anything for the a story so i mean i think it's entertaining but yeah it doesn't really establish it doesn't really help anything with the whole of this episode but i do think it's really it's really good because it's um you know you kind of almost see 
a character falling in love and um, it's, it feels organic and it, and it's, uh, you know, the doctor's great. Seven's great. And so you really can't go wrong with that. You know, you play them together, those two very unique characters and the interaction and, and surprise, surprise, it's, it's a good story, you know? Um, And then, you know, there's, there's, uh, I mean, obviously there's, it's derivative, you know, I mean, there's some, pop culture elements from our past that this this feeds off of but i think it does it in a unique fashion and uh i i do really like this episode overall i, I would have trouble saying it's one it's probably my top five i would say that pretty safely but i, I you know it's, it's certainly memorable and i do like this episode yeah so much of it is ricardo's performance and ryan's performance they're they're so great they're so great together the writing is is pretty good on their dialogue and stuff but God, Ricardo is so amazing. There's, uh, I'll, I'll get to that here, uh, Adam. What, what, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, I just thought it was okay. Uh oh, uh oh, a rare disagreement. Steve saying top five. Brian saying was his favorite episode of the show for a long time. Maybe not quite that high, but up there, I'd agree with the top five idea. And Adam says it was okay. Yeah, it's not a bad episode, but I it would be nowhere near top five and you the just reason, don't like love you're a no, love hater no it's not that it's <laughs> i find the episode to be kind of very cliche um mm. not very original i don't have a problem with like the love story and that kind of thing so i mean well they take seven they take an obvious character they take the, the obvious character for him to fall in love with and okay then there's the bet. All right, that's not very surprising. There's a bet. Okay, we know what's going to happen with that. That's been done eight million times throughout Hollywood. So I just, I was, you know, yeah, like you guys are right. The performances are good. I mean, I can't take anything away from that or anything like that. I just has there. You know, I might have been. It might have been just um, having to watch Juggernaut and going into this episode it might have affected it a little bit but i mean i i I don't know i just i think seven was an easy choice for this you know i mean i think paris says it right in the beginning like half the crew half all the men on this ship would want to date with with her i mean it's just i don't know and that's what makes it so fascinating is that the doctor isn't coming at it from the same um physical point of view that those other men men but to me to me it's predictable it's like okay Mm -hmm. yeah this is this is gonna happen let me ask this this um there really is no other time in i'm trying to think of another instance in star trek where a lead realizes that he or she is in love with another lead um maybe uh ds9 between um dax and Worf, or dax and uh bashir in that last season maybe we got Riker and torres not Taurus on Troy. Troy. Well, that didn't happen on the show. That happened before the show. Mm-hmm. They I mean, loved each other. They they sort of got back together in the movies. And then we, you know, we got Blana and Tom on this show. Yeah, I mean, there's that episode with them in space, but those are situations where you're talking about. All of these are situations where you're talking about two people that actually then got together. What's interesting to me here is that you've got a character realizing that he loves this woman. Yeah, I don't even think he loves her. I think it's... Let me finish this thought. Let me finish okay. this thought. So you've got a character 
realizing that he loves this woman and we can you can talk about whether that is the case in a moment but a character that believes that and doesn't tell her this is a regular on the show that's going to be in every episode for the rest of the series realizing that he loves another series lead regular and he doesn't tell her i know for me and now that's what i'm saying is so unique because all those other situations we talked about between regulars, those were people that got together. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, so I, I, for me, I, that that has the effect of for the rest of the series. I always think about that. I think about that being a motivation for him in many decisions. I think about that anytime those two are together. Yeah, I don't think it ever comes up again. I mean, this is kind of a one-off. So that's why I don't think he was really in love with her. At best, I would call it a crush. Um, and if you love somebody, you tell them. I mean, why? I mean, there was no reason for him not to tell her. So I mean, oh well, that, I, I that that is an entirely different conversation, but I definitely would not agree with that. I mean, why why would he not tell her? I mean, what was preventing him from telling her telling her his feelings? What was the conflict? The the reasoning behind that? I I don't think it. I don't think you can say if you love somebody, you tell them. But I mean, what was the reason for him not? Because she said, "Oh, there's nobody on this ship that's right for me." Eh, eh, eh. And it never comes up again. It's not like um, this is an ongoing thing throughout the rest of the series. And in, in a season or two, you know, you're going to have um, Chakotay and um, Seven to Nine. Doing yeah, well, that was thing. one of the notes that I made. Is, I mean, my last note was, in this episode, these feelings he has for her, they feel so earned and organic. And not just like they, not that they totally came out of this episode. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we totally see how he got here based on his history with her leading up to now. As opposed to... Seven's relationship with Chicote, which feels such a cheat. It's such so, a mess. So, so, so that makes it kind of creepy because he's been being her mentor and teacher, and now he's um, now he's perving on her. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I just I think it's a, I, I I think it's a middle of the road episode. I don't think it's very original. I think the writing is kind of derivative and cliche. Um, performances are good because the actors are good. I mean, you know, you can put a good actor in a situation where the writing is crappy, and they're still going to be good. Um, I just don't think there's much from this episode. And I would agree with you, Brian, if this was an ongoing thing throughout the rest I of the series. I wish it was. I really, it's not. my, it's not. I it's have not. two massive disappointments from this show by the time it's over. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not. It's, it's this episode, it's, it's, it's done. So I can't really, I can't, I totally disagree with you that he's in love with her. If you're in love with somebody, that it will affect you for time for a good amount of time no because the reasons this is not addressed anymore have to do with you know uh, 1990 star trek television production and not having overarching story arcs and things like that no that's that's an excuse because they 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 were able to do it with lana and tom they were able to do it with um with Riker. they were able to do it multiple not really. You just we just said in the last well, episode in Juggernaut, we're like, are these two people together or not? This is this yeah, but is I mean, but I mean, clearly they 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 didn't do a very good job of it. But clearly they they ran it through the the series, and clearly in Next Gen they ran that love thing throughout the series. This is a one off. It's a one off thing. I assume you've both seen the uh, rumors about Picardo joining Star Trek Picard in season two. It yeah. makes me curious about yeah. all of this. Yeah. Maybe he'll get a second shot. Like I said, I, I don't think it's a bad episode. I just think it's it's kind of middle of the road. And um, no, I, I wasn't 
Well, it's got it's got so many great Picardo moments. The, the beginning there when he's like giving her that goes straight from dating lessons and, and suddenly to the, the sperm and, and Picardo is like animating with his hands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very funny. Um, his love among the stars. I I also want to point out like so many of my favorite Picardo moments are just like these looks or when they're singing "You're You're My Sunshine" and he has just a couple of there's a couple of words part of the verse where he he stops singing with her and it's just a you know, a shot of his face, and that's when you, you, you kind of see how he feels for her. There's another moment when he says to her, like, um, we're colleagues, we're not pursuing romance, but the look in his face when he says those words, he's just, God, he's he's, yeah, he's an good. amazing, amazing actor. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you about the performance. Performances are good, but I mean, you can have good performances in crappy movies. I, I do think that there is an there is a bit of an impact with this episode somehow, and at least it impacted me twenty years, twenty plus years ago when it aired. Because I tell you, I was reading a a little book that had is basically singing the "You Are My Sunshine" song, and uh, and I was reading it with my daughter, and it's just singing the song basically. But I just picked it up reading it, and this is the first thing that came to my mind. And this was before we watched this episode. I was thinking of <laughs> Doctor and Seven, you know, twenty years plus, you know. And so I think I think it 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 does have an impact. I think it was well done, and sure, they're you know the, it they didn't carry it on, and there's restraints with you know, television back in this day to kind of make this complex relationship uh, addressed in any kind of fashion. But I, you know, I think, I think, I think this episode works and, it, and it's, it's pretty darn good in any case. Let's do six degrees for someone to watch over me. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. I think you might know this one just based on some things you said there, but I had to ask about this, even though this isn't really Star Trek. Scott Thompson plays Toman, the Katie ambassador that Neelix has a hard time wrangling. He is most famous for being a member of what Canadian comedy troupe? Um, is it Kids in the Hall? Yes, sir. Kids in the Hall, still funny. Holds up, still funny. Adam... Ian Abercrombie plays the Katie Abbott that takes Janeway on a journey in Voyager's sixth season. Oh, this is a hard question. Sorry. In Voyager's sixth season, he will play a resident of what idyllic town on Voyager's holodeck in the episode Spirit Folk? I'm sorry. You're asking the name of the town? Yeah. Um, that's, okay. That's, gonna... that's okay, viewers. I, I miss really easy questions, too, so. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a hint. So it's two words, and I will give you whichever one of the two words you want—the first word or the second word. I'll take the first word. The first word is fair. F A I R fair. Fair meadows. Nope, Steve. This seems familiar, but it's not. I can picture the town on it. Uh, gosh. Yeah, this was probably too hard a question. Fair Grove. <laughs> Fair Haven. Ah, wow. yes. It was, one, it was one of those um, <laughs> generic Steve, suburban names. Yes, exactly. Uh, Steve has two out of S1. Moving on. 1159, Season 5, Episode 23, Production Code 217. Original air date, May 5th, 1999. Directed by David Livingston, story by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski, teleplay by Joe Minoski, music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include 
Kevin Taihe as Henry Janeway, Bradley Pierce as Jason Janeway, John Carroll Lynch as Gerald Moss, Christina Hayes as Marcy Collins, Christopher Curry as Automobile Driver, and James Green as Passerby. Neelix becomes interested in Earth history, spurring research about an ancestor of Captain Janeway named Shannon O'Donnell, who was alive at the turn of the 21st century and who Janeway believes single-handedly fought to complete the Millennium Gate Tower project in 2000 and would later become part of NASA's mission to Mars. Neelix, prompted by Janeway, proceeds to track down further information on Shannon. I wouldn't ask you for a lot. Just enough to fix the car. I really... I kind of need a job right now. Dad? I suppose we could use some help. I would like to point out that Starfleet is kind of a military organization... I don't think would they say eleven fifty nine to mean eleven fifty nine p.m. I don't. That seems weird. Shouldn't it be twenty three fifty nine? Because they're talking about midnight, getting to midnight, right? True, true. They need to put a p.m. It's weird to me every time. I'm like, why? What is the thing about noon? I don't get it. Why is it noon? All right, Adam. What do you think of this one? Um, I like this episode. Um, the, you know, this is kind of it's kind of been a theme for captains, especially next gen, DS nine. Um, you know, we have it here where you know. In DS9, you know, we got um, Cisco, where he's the, um, you know, the, he's the author back in back in time. Um, um, Picard, it was, you know, um, oh my god, I can't believe I can't forget the name of the episode. You know, he's got the flute, you know. So we kind of see our, our main character kind of in a totally different um, surrounding. Um, I would say this episode isn't quite as immersed as um, when we saw Cisco and um, Ricard in their episodes, but it, it still kind of has this, to me, kind of has the same feeling where we, you know, we get to see Janeway playing one of her ancestors in, you know, fairly modern times. Um, so it's inter- it's it's kind of a different take. It's kind of a different pace for um for um Voyager or Star Trek in general. But um you know we've kind of seen this theme with captains before. I mean we can kind of get into the the details and and that kind of stuff. I, I the one kind of thing I kind of felt it was rushed. But I mean you know it's hard to fill a whole story and and make it fleshed out in in forty forty five minutes. So that was kind of my first takes on it, Steve. Yeah, I uh, I like it fine. I mean, I don't think it's a it's bad or anything. I, I it's it's fun. There's some fun elements to it, and some kind of insight into this alternate history thing is interesting and all that. Um, I mean, it's got the classic kind of example of how how does this really affect our characters? I mean, I get that it's not like it's the whole episode is entirely in the past related to an ancestor, but. I mean, the impact it has on our characters and, and Janeway the most, I mean, that, you know, there's something there, but I'm not sure they really deliver that very well, you know, in terms of how, okay, this totally changes my perspective on my decision to join Starfleet and what I did and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, you have some fun moments with the, the crew at the end, kind of trying to to lessen the impact of this historical, but does it, you does know, it give but, you insight into who Janeway is as a character? I mean, that would be worthy, worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, w- it would be, but I don't I don't know that it does. I mean, mm-hmm. we, she says that this is why I joined Starfleet. Okay, I guess there, there's there's some kind of sense in there. You feel like you're carrying on some kind of heritage. And then it's, 
and that's taken away from you, but I'm not sure they really show the impact of that being taken away from you. If it's that big of a thing for you and then they just rip it away, you know, she should be absolutely devastated and it should be more evident. Um, plus it, it's kind of, it's not particularly believable when in this day and age, anytime we hear of anything that we're curious about the, the etymology of some kind of phrase or some kind of notion or where did someone come from, we can like learn that about that in 10 seconds, you know, so it's not particularly believable that she never would have learned that there's some nonsense to the stories that <laughs> she was, she grew up on about this, this ancestor. And so, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not knocking it too much. I mean, there, there's some good stuff here and it's, and it's fun and entertaining and, all of that, but um, it's kind of relatively forgettable. Yeah, you know? I think this episode for me is like it wins me over. I, I I love the idea of it. I actually, you know, that's one of the great things about Star Trek is that you can have episodes that are just totally almost almost non sequitur, but but you know, find the relationship. You can just do you can do crazy. Every week can be different on Star Trek. You know, it's a science fiction show. You can do these kinds of things that you couldn't do on like a cop procedural or, or, you know, whatever. So I like that they can do things like this. Um, but I agree. There's, there's, it's just kind of missing something to make it good, but eventually it has enough solid scenes. It has enough going for it that it does win me over. I realized the moment I liked it was like three quarters in or more Janeway's she's sorry. Shannon is, heading out of town in her car, recording a little captain's log on her tape recorder. And she kind of talks herself into changing her mind and turning around. And I realized that that was the moment when the episode, it, it's it slow, but it did, it did win me over. I really feel like Mulgrew is enjoying herself in this episode. I kind of see, she looks like she does like, like the theater version of her on a stage. She kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, I see like little movements and choices that she makes as an actress in this, that I, it, it really did seem different from what she would normally do uh, to play Janeway. I think that maybe the character actor they got to play Mr. Janeway, he, he's, he's good. He's, I mean, he, I remember him from Roadhouse. Yeah. But it feels like she's a little bit better than him. She's out acting him a little bit maybe he wasn't you know as good like that scene like john carroll lynch he's an awesome actor i love that scene that w with her and him in the bar when he's talking her when he's telling he's offering her that job which is interesting too because it would be so easy for like the big developer to be like the the bad guy or something and they don't really go that direction i like that but that's a scene where like john carroll lynch is a really good actor and that feels like good and normal when he and mulgrew are together but i don't you know I feel like that the actor they got playing, um, you know, Mr. Janeway maybe wasn't quite up to Mulgrew. And maybe, you know, that's such a big part of this episode. Maybe that holds it back for me. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Brian. I don't know if that's, um, I'm, I'm not disparaging the actor and his performance, but I don't know if they necessarily match that well. The chemistry wasn't that great, I, I don't think. And I think that this might have been the product of um, of how much time they spent with each of them. Um I kind of would have preferred they would have just spent 90% of the episode um, in the year 2000 or 1999, wherever they were at. Um, and I think they would have fleshed out that, um, that relationship a, a little bit more because it kind of seemed a little bit rushed, you know, the kind of the feelings. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I feel like there should have been one less jump back to Voyager. 
I will say this. You know what we forgot to do? We didn't uh, talk about what um, the last episode was about. But I will say this. I actually like this episode better than the last one. So to kind of keep um, our our debate discussion going on. And the reason why I like this episode better is because I kind of felt it was more of an original story. And um, they took more chances in this episode. Now, whether or not that worked out for any of us, is, it's debatable. Um, but yeah, another thing I had written down, this episode in a weird way kind of made me sad. So they're building this, in the year 2000, they're building this huge millennial, you know, gate city that's self-sustaining and it's supposed to be a model for, you know, Mars and that kind of thing. And it's kind of, it kind of made me feel sad. I'm like, you know, we don't, you know, in our civilization, we don't do anything. We don't build anything big. You know, the only thing that we build in this country is big glass skyscrapers that, um, you know, that are basically empty. Um, so it, in a weird way, it kind of made me sad that, you know, our, our civilization of today isn't, um, we don't build anything big. We don't take any, any real chances on, on this kind of stuff. So well, that, that makes me, reminds me that one thing about this episode that is totally lost today, when this episode came out, talking about the millennium and thinking about this changeover from 1999 to 2000 or 2000 to 2001, that was a big deal. I remember that pretty clearly. And that was something people talked about and thought about. And this episode was trying to touch on that. That's gone completely now. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. Right. Yeah. So what is this episode about? Um, Kind of what I took from it is like, you know, it's in a weird way, it's kind of like the butterfly effect, you know. Yes, Janeway found out about her ancestor, and I kind of agree with Steve. You know, they were able to kind of find all this stuff about out stuff out about her on Voyager. You know, whatever forty or fifty thousand light years away, all on Voyager. You know, and they found all these databases, and they were able to kind of clue this um, Shannon's life together fairly simply. Um, so I agree with with Steve on that. But kind of what I took from it, it is like you know, it's kind of like you know, you know, know. You know this this decision that Shannon Shannon O'Donnell made by staying there and and, and talking um, Janeway into selling and them having a life together. How that one decision changed um, the history of our characters in in Voyager's present. So that's just kind of a neat concept to me. It's like it doesn't matter um, how little you might think something is, how or how little a decision you think might think a decision is. I mean, it could have vast impact you know 100 200 years down the road so i i, I like the that concept of it we are saying she marries and has children with mr janeway right that must be the case yeah you would must think. be the case yeah. yeah yeah that's why he kind of seemed a little old for that but hmm. you know, get into that road what do you got for what it's about steve yeah i think i think it's this um this this idea of I mean, really what they're trying to do, because it's it's always in reference to our characters. So if you take that element and roll with that, it's this idea of, I mean, I, I have to think that it's almost like Janeway chose not to delve into this in a, in a sense. You know, like she, there's this thing she grew up with. Her family told her these stories of this heroic figure. She rolled with it. She made choices based on that. I mean, you have to think that she would have the ability to go back and say, like, I'm skeptical. Let me really check if that's what history shows us, you know, to the point of these people who are in the, you know, in a different different quadrant of the galaxy figured all this out that 
her, you know, she's a little bit delusional in that sense. Um, I think there, there might be a little bit of, you know, this notion that we tell ourselves a story that, that we need to hear in a sense, you know, we, we, we move forward and, and kind of, and take effect. We roll with, we make decisions on, um, information that we have gathered and that's kind of the subjectivity of it, right? We don't, we don't necessarily say what's the absolute fact that's what we're deciding on because that's not, that's not what drives us. It's, it's the emotion. It's what we, where we want to go and we make some kind of reason up to, to move forward with where we want to go. I mean, I wish they would have dealt more with that idea um, because I think otherwise this is kind of an average episode for a fifth season episode. But I think, I think that's, for me, that's what I gathered from it. Well, it's kind of comes down to, you know, what's what, you know, the, the real person in the legend. And, um, you know, clearly um, Janeway, she took the, the legend, the mythology or the stories that she learned about her, her ancestor and kind of made them into legend. And, you know, we do that all the time in, in society and history. We, we make things, we make ordinary normal people who, who do might do one extraordinary thing. You turn them into a legend and that's what, um, you know, that's what people believe in. And that's what they, they base their, their feelings on, not necessarily what the person was actually like. All right, let's do six degrees for eleven fifty nine. Uh, I don't really have regular six degrees questions for this particular episode. They're more just like trivia or asking about something that I find interesting. Because these people didn't come back. Sorry, Steve, are you going first or second? Oh, first. What was hanging from Shannon's rearview mirror? <laughs> oh God! I know it's like the most trivia e trivia question I've ever asked. Mm, I, I I don't recall. I can't recall right now. Adam, it's a moon lander. That's right. Paula Lunarliner. Oh, yes. Uh, it's tied up. Let's see if Adam can take it for the day. John Carroll Lynch played Norm in one of Brian's favorite movies. Oscar-winning film from Coen Brothers. What was the movie? Um, I believe his last name was Gunderson. I think. I have to look that up, but I think that's right. I'm trying to think of what movie he was in. What the- Francis McDormand says... Jeez, Norm, you know, we're going to be okay. Oh, um, Fargo. I kind of gave it away with the accent, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be Fargo. Oh, Adam you, takes it. You can yes. we'll, we'll, we'll call it. <laughs> um, John Carroll Lynch, also a director. He directed, um, what's his name's last movie? Uh, golly. I can't remember his name. He just died recently from, he was in you know, Alien and Christine and Buddies with Bukowski. Uh, what's his name? Nobody knows who I'm talking about. Oh, well. John Clara Lynch directed the last movie he was in. <laughs> I don't know. I okay. re- yeah, the only person I can think of who died recently was Fonda, right? Well, that was super recent, but yeah. Uh, okay. You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. We are going to be back in two weeks to discuss the final three episodes of Voyager's fifth season. And uh, thank you very much for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya.
fun and past it.